Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. Two of my spiritual mentors both shared a very strange and very specific obsession. These two men couldn't be more different from one another. Uh, One of them was a PhD from Duke University. Uh, The other was a missionary to Saudi Arabia. Uh, One of them played in a rock band with his teenage sons. The other would regularly schedule silence, long, long periods of silence for himself each week. These two men could not be more different. One uh, was a Presbyterian minister. Uh, The other was a Christian who came from the mystic desert father as part of the Christian faith. And yet, they shared an obsession over a flower. And not just any flower, this very strange flower called the night-blooming cirrus. This night-blooming cirrus is an absolute hidden treasure. And it's something that I would wager that most of you have never seen. And the reason that most of you have never seen a night-blooming cirrus is that it only blooms once a year. It only blooms in the middle of the night, and it is typically dead by dawn. And so you can imagine if you know where one of these plants are, whether you've cultivated it or found it, to be waiting in anticipation every summer for that day where this one plant will bloom for one night only. There is a degree of, of anticipation, a degree of surprise. Both of these men, as the summer got hotter, would go out every night and look to see if it would be the night that this flower would bloom. There was no way to predict it. Just one night, it would open up. And if, if you talk to either uh, Dr. Kidd or Grant, both of them would tell you how beautiful it was, how you could smell it from blocks away. They were so excited about this. Dr. Kidd had actually raised one in his backyard. Uh, Grant knew that there are a couple of these hidden in the alleyways of the Euclid St. Paul neighborhood here in St. Pete. And so they were so excited. If you could just hear about it, if you could just tell them about it. This night-blooming cirrus is a way for us to see that hope and beauty can be the sort of things that sneak up on us, that surprise us when we're least expecting, when we don't always know where they're coming from. Maybe this week you were playing your Spotify playlist and it got to the end and it got to the Spotify suggest and you heard a new song that you'd never heard before and it was beautiful. Maybe you've had this experience of walking through an art gallery, turning a corner and seeing something that absolutely arrests your attention. Maybe this was love at first sight for you. Whatever the case may be, we all understand this idea of being caught off guard by something surprising, something beautiful, and something hopeful. This flower growing on a utility pole in an alleyway shakes us awake. It dares us to come and see and smell its beauty. We, we could use something like that, right? We could use that sort of experience, that sort of moment in our lives. When we are feeling the depths of despair, the depths of helplessness and hopelessness, we need a surprise. It's like a flower blooming in the darkest night if light doesn't break on us. 
when we are in these deep, dark moments, we are tempted to give up and to despair. But the coming of Jesus is exactly that surprising beauty in the night. It it is a dawn that chases away the darkness of our anxious hearts. The coming of Jesus is that surprise that changes everything. And this is exactly what the prophet Isaiah wanted to teach the people of Israel in a dark night of their souls. And so if you would, I would invite you to stand if you're able. I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 35. You're welcome to follow along the screen. as It'll be on the screen behind me, or if you have your own copy, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Let's hear this shocking and surprising prophecy of Isaiah. The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like a crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for water breaks forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water, and the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and the sorrow and sign shall flee away. City Church is the word of God written nearly 3,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. The people of Israel were in the pit of despair. They were in a dark night of the soul. The northern kingdom of Israel had already been defeated by the Assyrians. And now that same Assyrian army, which had just obliterated the northern kingdom, was marching on Jerusalem. They were about to lay siege to the city. The people of Israel were hopelessly outnumbered. The people of Israel had asked Egypt and other nations to help them, to which everybody had replied, no, thank you. And so now the people of Israel were holed up like a bird in a cage in the city of Jerusalem. All of the people of the countryside had fled into the city as they waited their fate, as they waited for the Assyrians to show up with impending doom. And if there was ever a people in need of hope, you can imagine that these are exactly those type of people. And so that's what Isaiah wants to say to them. That's what Isaiah wants to bring them in the midst of this darkness. He tells them to look around. 
It's as if he stands on the walls of the city and says, look out there, look out there into the darkness, into the bleak desert surrounding us. I'm going to give you a surprise because just like a flower blooming in an alleyway at night, I am going to make beauty spring from somewhere where you do not expect. He describes the desert as being filled with crocuses, which are flowers, or the plural of crocs, the shoes. Take your choice. The desert is going to bloom with these flowers everywhere around them. The desert will bring life. This would have been surprising to them. The desert is going to turn into a greenhouse. That's not what normally happens, but God is going to do that. The land that they look at and all they can see is the boot prints of the soldiers who are coming to kill them. He says, take hope. That very land will be a garden, will be a place of beauty. He says that the things that your eyes see aren't necessarily the most true thing. What I'm doing, what I'm going to do is something that you can't see with your eyes. Beloved, if you are feeling the weight and heaviness of this time of year, whether that's because of of family issues, of work issues, wherever you find yourself, if you find yourself in that darkness, listen, listen to what Isaiah has to say to you. What your eyes tell you is true is not the way things will always be. What your eyes tell you to be true is not the way that things will always be. What we see as desert, God sees as potential greenhouses. What we see as a desperate and parched land, a desperate and parched soul, God sees as a place of potential growth and flourishing. His glory is to change the dead into the living. His majesty is to make impossible things come true. That's the sort of God he is. That's who Isaiah tells the people to look at. Look out, see desolation, see the hardship that is coming, and I'm telling you that I'm going to transform all of it. But Isaiah doesn't stop by just saying, don't worry, green is going to win. No, Isaiah looks inward. He looks inside the city walls to these people, these teeming masses who are shuddering and shaking as they are about to be sieged inside this city. I I can't help but think back as many of us uh, remember just six, eight months ago as the war in Ukraine started. And as we began to see the pictures that were coming out of of families, of communities huddled in the basements of whatever place they could find, uh, sleeping, not so much sleeping, but just worrying through the night that would they get a rain of mortars? Would bombs come and bomb out their city? And as we think about those pictures, as we were filled with, with empathy, as we were thinking about them and praying for them, none of us looked on them and said, oh, those are silly people. Well, those are foolish people. What are they so afraid of? No, we all looked at them and our hearts broke for what they were having to go through. This is the people of Israel in this moment. They were trying their best with an unbelievable, ter- with an unbelievably terrible situation. And while we are not under siege in any way, some of us found, find ourselves this morning feeling like that on the inside. Yes, there's not war where we live, but there is so much more that is going on in your soul and mind. 
And if you are in that space this morning, if there is heavy darkness on you, Isaiah would like a word. Isaiah would like to say something to you, and it's this. Be strong and fear not. Now, if we're not careful, when we read be strong and fear not, we can read it simply as a command to be better, to try harder, to just stiffen your upper lip, be stronger, take more reps, and do not fear, stop it. But that's not what Isaiah is saying. Isaiah is not telling us simply to be better. No, he is, he is coming to their anxious hearts and saying, not be better, trust in God. Look at him. The gospel never tells us to be better. He says, behold your God. Look at who he is. Look at what he is going to do. Look at his character. He is coming with vengeance for those who don't trust in him. And he is coming with salvation for those who do. Beloved, if you find yourselves this morning in the grip of an anxious heart, worries and fears about the future, the new year, family gatherings, whatever might be uh, splintering your mind this morning, behold your God, a Savior who came near, God in the flesh. Look at Jesus. He is a God who did not stay distant and remain other from us, but took on flesh and dwelt among us. Hebrews says it so beautifully that he was tempted in every way we are and yet without sin. As we think about all of the brokenness that we experience uh, because of the sin of others and because of our sin, Jesus experienced so much of that without sinning himself. Jesus knows our weakness. He knows our frailties. And yet, he came anyway. Jesus knows what you are struggling with right now and comes to you anyway. He is the God who has drawn near. He is the God who comes to us. This should be surprising because so many of us think that God's call to us is to improve to go out of here, to tie your shoes extra tight, to make sure you sin less this week. That's what most of us, most of our ears are trained to hear that that's what the preacher says. Go be better, go try harder, go work more, do more Jesus things. Beloved, that's not what Isaiah is telling us this morning. Isaiah is telling us, look at Jesus. Look at at who he is. Look at what he has done. Imagine what he will do. As we read this, the message to us is not be better. The message is look and see and trust in Jesus. Treasure who he is and what he has done in his coming. And Isaiah goes even further than that. Isaiah describes what the people are going to be like, what life is going to be like when the Messiah does come. Did you catch that sort of rapid fire healing of infirmities that Isaiah went through? He's going to make the blind be able to see, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk. He says all of these things are going to accompany the Messiah when he comes. 
And if those things sound familiar, if you've been around church for a while, you'll be able to see, ah, yes, those are the things that Jesus did. Jesus did heal a blind man. Jesus did make a, a mute person be able to speak. He, he healed the ears of a deaf man. And as we hear those things, it can be tempting for us to just go, oh, neat, this was a checklist that Isaiah said Jesus was going to do, and Jesus did it, so good for Jesus. He hit all the marks that he needed to hit on the stage and took care of everything. But if we just think that this is Jesus fulfilling a prophecy, we miss the beauty. We miss what Jesus says this is all about. You might remember the story if you've been around church for a while, especially if you, you grew up in sort of Sunday school or watched Veggie Tales as a child, perhaps. You might remember the story of the four friends who bring their paralyzed buddy to Jesus. It's a packed house. Everybody is gathered around. There's no way to get into the house. So these four friends, they're, they're, you know, have some ingenuity to them. They climb up on the roof, hoist the guy up there, tear the roof off, and lower, Jesus, lower this man down to Jesus. And most of us, our, our memory of the story ends there because when you're seven years old, that's a great story because somebody got to rip a roof open. And, you know, as a seven-year-old boy, I was interested in finding out what that would be like. But when we stop the story there, we miss the more shocking part of it. Because as this man is lowered down on a mat, as this crippled man descends from the ceiling, what does Jesus say to him? Jesus does not say the expected thing. The first words out of Jesus' mouth as he looks at this man is, your sins are forgiven. Just think about being a friend of this man. See, lowering him down through the roof, getting Jesus' attention, Jesus giving this man his full and undivided attention, and Jesus' words to him are, your sins are forgiven. You can only imagine them, even the man thinking, well, that's, well, that's great, but that's not why I'm, I'm, I'm here. I came here because of the leg problem. And then you hear the, the Pharisees whispering, well, no one can forgive sins but God. Why is he even saying that? That's blasphemy for him to say this. So everybody's got all of these misconceptions. And so Jesus turns them. He knows what they're thinking. He knows what all of these people are thinking. And he says, what's easier? To forgive somebody's sins or to stay, rise up and walk? And everybody kind of grumbles and somebody probably mutters, you know, from the back. You know, it's like when somebody asks a question in a sermon and, you know, congregations aren't used to that interaction. Somebody kind of goes, it's easier to say, get up and walk. You know, they kind of mumble through it. Don't want to make sure they're not wrong. Don't want to shout out the wrong answer in church. Somebody says, I guess that it's easier to walk. And Jesus says, yeah, it is. But so that you know I can do the harder thing, I'll do the easy thing. So he says to the man, rise up and walk. Jesus heals this man, not simply so that the guy can walk but so the guy can see that his problems are not merely physical. The blindness, deafness, and lameness that we experience in this life are not merely physical problems. Rather, Jesus, Isaiah, the prophets use this to illustrate something that's going on inside of us. Isaiah has already told the people of Israel, you are blind to your sin. You are deaf to what I want to tell you. These are not just physical things that Jesus comes and does, but rather 
They're pictures of the spiritual deficiencies that all of us have. They're verdicts that have been pronounced over us. And these things follow us through our lives like a diagnosis like blindness might. Maybe it was something said to you when you were a child. You'll never amount to anything. Maybe it was something a teacher said to you. What a disappointment. Maybe it was hurtful words from a loved one. I wish you were somebody else. All of us struggle with these verdicts that have been placed over us, and we spend our lives either running from them or doing our best to prove them wrong. But again, the gospel isn't a call here to improve and be better, to prove them wrong, to come back with a vengeance. No, the gospel is a surprising story of God being the one who changes things. He is the one who changes things. Blindness doesn't just go away. Shame doesn't just dissipate. We're in need of a radical miracle to change everything. All of our spiritual and physical needs find their reversal in the coming of Jesus. The thing that we assume will always be true about us will not always be true. Just like the desert will turn into a garden, so the same can happen in our souls. That's why Isaiah returns to that sort of outdoors illustration. The hot sand will be a beautiful spring, a pool of refreshing water. God is going to heal the scars of sin on this planet and in our lives. Do you believe that? Can you imagine that with what you have going on in your life, with what keeps you up at night, with what wakes you up early? Beloved, imagining the way that God is going to undo those things is exactly what Isaiah is inviting us into. He is inviting us to believe that Jesus can and does change everything. Even in the midst of verdicts pronounced over us, or the anxiety we have from the world around us. And so Isaiah tells us that we need to travel a new road, a road less trodden. Not the old one where we live in fear of beasts that haunt the desert, not the road where the robbers lie in wait, not the road cluttered with perilous situations and perilous people. He invites us to walk on a road called holiness. This road has that name, not because of the moral value and virtue of the people walking on it, but because of where it leads. It leads to the holy God himself. This is the way back to the Lord. Even if we act a fool, it will be clear what God is calling us to and where we are going. It is the way that we are called to walk. It's interesting that Jesus in John 14 called himself the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We normally prattle those things off and go, yeah, yeah, all three of those, or maybe we pick out the life one because we like that one. But we don't often consider the fact that Jesus says that he is the way. He is the path. It's, it's surprising for most of us to think about the fact that Christians weren't always called Christians. That was a name uh, that we as a people received later. It wasn't until uh, the church at Antioch was planted that people began to call Christians Christians. Instead, for the first 20, 25 years of the church, what we now call Christians were called followers of 
the way. Jesus is providing a new path. He's providing another way for us. Jesus showed his power and his divinity by healing the lame and the blind so that we could trust that he could forgive sins too. Jesus' Jesus' death and resurrection is exactly what Isaiah is pointing our souls to. Yes, they're about to experience the hardship of being under siege. Yes, God is going to redeem this people and send the Assyrians home packing and the people of Israel will sing with joy. But that is a pale comparison. That is a fourth grade play in comparison to the beauty of the resurrection and crucifixion of Jesus. That cross where the gavel banged out in the courtroom of God and a not guilty verdict was placed on you and me, where we were declared righteous, where we were told that we are the people following the way where God is going to begin to set things right, to turn deserts into gardens. And after all, that's the story of our soul. Our soul, parched, dry, and barren, becomes the garden where the Holy Spirit grows his fruit. A barren and wasteland of a soul has become the garden where Jesus is cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in us. This is what Isaiah has to say to an anxious and burdened people. This is what God's Word has to say to us this morning as we experience similar situations. And as we see this surprise, as we think about the surprise of a desert blooming into flowers, of an alleyway in Euclid St. Paul where a flower blooms once a year in the middle of the night, as we think about beauty in surprises, we rejoice because God is making all things new. He is handing out new verdicts onto his people. It's Jesus who produces this gladness in our souls. It's through his work and not our efforts. So let's look to him. Let's trust in him. Let's pray that he might do exactly that in your soul and mine. Let's pray.